0: Ah, Hello everyone, welcome. Thank you very much for coming. Welcome to the Dorfman uh, Theatre. My name is Dan Rebellato and uh, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you the director and the adapter of Ocean at the End of the Lane, Katie Rudd and Joel Horwood. So before we start, can I just quick show of hands? Who here has neither seen the show nor read the book? Ah, there are some people. So we move on to the non-spoiler version <laughs> of, uh, of tonight's questions. So uh, we will try not to spoil anything about the, uh, the show for you. Can I start by asking both of you actually where you started with this project? Where did you come across the book? Did you, one of you bring it to the other? How, how did it happen?
1: Kate, you brought it to me, so go ahead.
2: Uh, so I was given the book by uh, Sam Wire, who is our costume and puppet designer. And he just said, this might be interesting. because we were kind of talking about doing various things. And um, uh, I obviously read it. It was Neil Gaiman. I thought it was really challenging, uh, but really exciting. And uh, so I was working in this theater on um, Husbands and Sons, the D.H. Lawrence uh, adaptation. and. Uh, I was sat with Ben Power and I said, I've had this idea, I think we could try and do it. And uh, (laughs) he said, who would you get to adapt it? And I said, well, I haven't thought yet. And he said, what about Joel Horwood? And uh, I went and bought all your plays. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought it was a brilliant idea. And uh, then we met, didn't we? Uh, After rehearsal in Three Mills, Uh, And, uh, yeah.
1: You were working on Groundhog Day.
2: I was working on Groundhog Day, yeah.
0: (coughs) Uh, So how long ago was this then? How long have you been?
2: Three and a half years ago?
0: Yes. How old's your child? Yeah, the same age, (laughs) yeah, three and a half years. Okay, so what was it about the book that made you think that this was a theatre piece or it had the kernel of a theatre piece in it rather than a Netflix series or a movie or, w- or whatever it is. What's um, theatrical about it?
2: For me, what was interesting about the n- novel, and actually what we've talked a lot about, is that it's a lot about imagination. And um, in theatre, we ask our audience to imagine, and there we there is a contract that we all sign when we go to the theatre to suspend our disbelief sometimes or to um, create something in an Abstract, interesting way. And so when I thought about how you might go through a bucket and into an ocean, I thought, well, actually, this might be better than any Netflix CGI version of that because we can represent it on stage in, a, in an interesting, exciting, moving way. Um, yeah.
0: And for Joe, what was the, when you kind of read the book, what was the, what was the kind of core of it for you? I mean, or, what was the core that you found? Was it the kind of emotional story or the kind of mythic landscape which it has or or something else?
1: Yes. It's such a a beautiful novel. And when I sat down to read it, I read it in one sitting, which I think is probably not uncommon for this book because it's absolutely great. And I think I did that because quite early on, you start to engage with how it's definitely about imagination, about trust, And I'm a pretty hardcore atheist. And for me, it felt really like beautiful to read a creation myth and it be so personal. So it felt really about how we create, remember, or um, become the stories that we tell. And reading that book really just made me think about how, obviously I'm interested in stories and uh, always have been. And I I love coming to the theatre to engage in that and also started to really consider who I am based on what I tell the world and what I, what I tell myself. And this book has this brilliant thing of having a prologue and an epilogue. And it, in so doing, you've got this, you've got several worlds alive at the same time. And absolutely, theater is the place to do things that are about imagination and trust and faith. But it is also one of the very few forms where I think you can keep two or, or more realities alive at the same time um so for me the emotional core and its theatricality are absolutely the same
0: so so how did you work then i mean was it a process of a series of kind of workshops that developed mm-hmm. it or
2: so we started with um Joel and i we uh I had a scriptment we called it didn't we which was a essentially the novel, but with uh, sort of put in, in kind of order, bits taken out and we had a workshop and I got Stephen Hoggett in and Sam uh, Wire and it was basically us running around with bin bags uh, for (laughs) two weeks, no, it was more than that. Um, And we uh, um, basically staged it, didn't we? We we staged quite a lot of it. Picked
1: the hardest bits and had a go at them.
2: Yeah. Um, and then we had a meeting with Neil and uh, he said he'd come to the the workshop and we showed him a kind of sharing version of what this could look like. Right. And um, he loved it. And he said, OK, you know, go to the next level. And then commissioned Joel, the National Commission, Joel to write the script. Um, and then we had another workshop after that, mm-hmm. later on.
1: Yeah, it's a great thing about this place mm. is they've got the National Theatre Studio and they've got the resources. So, so really in good. other
0: words, the adaptation, absolutely, the staging and the adaptation happened in yeah. tandem the whole absolutely, way through. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, can I ask about the moment when Neil Gaiman came in? Was that a, was that a scary... Terrifying. Um, yeah. Terrifying.
2: Yeah, absolutely. He, although he's very kind, he's been very sort of open, hasn't he? And um, generous with the material and i think he really trusted us he left us alone quite a lot you know he would check he you know came to that sharing and he came to a reading and i think he uh, was really pleased and excited about the idea Mm. um so yeah whilst it was scary he's really only ever been really supportive
0: i think Uh, did he give any i mean was he do you have any input Were the points where he said yeah. actually there are things that are very important about this book to me and that maybe are useful to know?
1: Yeah, he did. Um, but always very generously and always kind of in order to continue to unlock the adaptation. Uh, he never put any like limits on us. Right. And he's, I, I watched that talk he gave with Lenny Henry and he said about how his notes got fewer and fewer as it went on and it was definitely that was definitely true it was just kind of three at the last rehearsal we run which was great mm-hmm. really useful i mean he's a master storyteller isn't he so his notes are great mm-hmm. yeah. oh, wow
0: and so um, because it's a, i mean it's a it's a complex book it's mu- or it's much more complex than i think you kind of realize when you first read it so it seems to me there are lots of ways you could have gone with this adaptation so what were the kind of key moments where you kind of thought, actually, I think I know how to unlock this story? What were, what were the moments for you?
1: Oh, there's a really good one, but I think it would be a big old spoiler if I told you. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> <coughs> um, <laughs> but he's, he's, uh, late in the book, he starts to crash some of the themes together right. in, in a brilliant way, which for me started to kind of go, oh, okay, now we can really rely on our... Uh, theatrical language to deliver some of these literary ideas. Right.
2: I remember in the workshop, (coughs) a really breakthrough point was when we started to work out what the physical language of the piece was, the storytelling, there was a, uh, there's a section where they, uh, can really try not to spoil this for you, um, where they go on a sort of treasure hunt type thing, scavenger hunt. And I remember that being a real turning point for us, um, thinking about play and how that felt really theatrical, but also absolutely at the character's core. And that he, what he needed to do, what he needed was to learn to play and to trust and to take a leap of faith, which is in, t- in also what we're asking our audience to do. And that the kind of collision of those two things, I think, gave us a lot of confidence in the piece and that 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 actually. That felt really exciting.
0: It's a, it's interesting when I was thinking about the book that one of one of the challenges must be that one. I think that Neil Gaiman's imagination does is uh, there are vast extremes of scale that there are both minute details or tiny details, a a, a tiny hole in a body, um, and then there are there's the scale of an ocean or a kind of monster the size of a house or something like that. Um, how do you work with that? Because obviously that's a particular staging challenge.
2: Yeah, and I think the key to that was, uh, and something we f- discovered quite early, is that it really works when you're through the character's eyes. So the whole narrative is through his his point of view. So that enables you to have the big macro picture of how he mm-hmm. feels when he sees a monster or you know, whatever that feels like to him. Is how we need to show it but also whatever that book means to him you know this, this sort of scale of that uh, as long as we're through his eyes that it was that's why we saw both big and little because we're kind of through his right point of view if that makes sense it, absolutely um,
0: sorry yeah no i was gonna um ask you actually specifically mm. about that which is again it's one of the things that's very different about a novel and the theatre that a novel can obviously take you right inside someone's thought processes. The theatre, uh, of course, is always you're always looking at the external of people. And it's a bit more presentational. And I wondered whether how you take us through somebody's subjective experience in the theatre. And that's a question for both of you actually, mm-hmm. in terms of how you approach this.
1: Well, yeah, as Katie says, you just bully the protagonist really, <laughs> put him on stage, never let him off, and then. Um, And then it's kind of about structure for me that you uh, ensure that you're following thought process as much as you're following action Mm.
2: um was also in the language of our ensemble as well that everything that they did was serving him was sort of you know helping him we called the ensemble characters around him the his mnemonics you know they kind of help him remember they help the memory so they give him everything he needs and they have a certain attitude to some of the stuff on the way they deliver the furniture or it's not just stagehands coming on it but it's really psychological and they're feeling what he feels and uh or delivering him the thing that he finds in the scavenger hunt or uh, and that helps i think focus uh the audience through his how he's fe- how he's feeling what he wants where he's going and right. uh yeah
0: because i think the um one of the things i i think is so wonderful about this production is the Uh, the kind of fluidity of it there's a sense of near constant transformation and that things are are never quite fixed and there's always a sense that in a moment it could just become something very different which is a whole aesthetic about the whole approach to the to the production and that's obviously partly about as you say it's about putting us into the into the experiences of this this boy but it's also it seems to me s- something about the world that's being created that is always on the edge of transforming in a certain way is that is that, was that kind of conscious or is it more a problem solving set of decisions mm. I, I think
1: that relates to the thing of the your <laughs> question about the script developing in tandem with the theatrical yeah. language because once yeah, once you've got a kind of scriptment and a kind of stru- sort of rough structure and Neil's dialogue, um, you can't, you know, you. it was a complete stab in the dark to write stage directions like they rip holes in the universe and then see how the hell that is going to work out. Because if you start, you know, if we would found in the w- first workshop that some of these ideas were never going to happen, then I think it becomes a completely different structure and a completely different show. So it was like really thanks to... Katie and Stephen Hoggett and their history of working together that we found the theatrical language I think Mm. points towards an answer.
2: Yeah. Um, I think the kind of ambiguity that you're talking about, the kind of feeling like we're in one world or the other is absolutely deliberate because there were lots of different readings of the book Mm. and everyone that I spoke to had a slightly different version of of what happened and what uh, the experience of it and I felt that I didn't want to um Joe, I think you felt that so well, you didn't want to narrow what this production you know, it shouldn't come yes. down on one side or the other. Is it all in his mind? Is it whatever it is for some people. So I think for the, what we were trying to do is very walk that line very deliberately between a fairy tale, a fantasy mm. uh, and something other, more psychological
0: and that Yes, yeah. absolutely. Okay, uh why uh, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about the about the audience actually and how you sort of imagined your audience watching this. I mean one thing about the book that is quite slippery is that on the one hand it seems like a kind of young adult novel, but the framing of it is very much about adulthood and parenthood and grief and loss and much yeah. s- some slightly older things. Did you think of your show as being a show for young people or a show for adults or both? Or did you not think about those sorts of things?
2: I very much thought about it. Um, As you say, I think it's for both. It's a grown up fairy tale for me. Mm. Um, We I wanted it to be exciting for young people. I wanted them to have an experience in the theatre that they hadn't seen before. And I wanted to deliver monsters and I wanted to pretty much give them a treat every you know so you know so that it does keep going because that's what it feels like to him I think the Mm. main character feels like these events keep happening to him and that's why the momentum of the piece keeps going um but uh, absolutely as you say it's about grief and loss and Mm -hmm. healing and uh they're incredibly adult themes which and uh are totally in the novel. And I think we, I wanted to deliver those as well because for me, it's a story about how a boy learns that, you know, really living is daring to fail and to push on even when you're damaged by your experience or um, those things and that you could be saved by friendship and love. Right. and kindness and those felt like things that we all need mm. to hear yeah. and experience uh, today, you know.
0: It's, we were talking bef- just before we came out, and we, we all have young children and one of the things that we will all have experienced is that there's lots of unbelievably great children's television uh, and very often they're clearly, they're aware of kind of co-viewing that there will be adults in the room with your child. So there's stuff for the adults and stuff for the, the children. When you were doing when you were writing it, was there any sense in which you were kind of thinking, I want to kind of I'm, I'm thinking about two audiences in a way? Or is it actually about giving a shared experience? That could be either um, or neither.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I feel a bit silly, but uh, I didn't really think about the audience <laughs> writing because right. I purely felt, I purely thought about me, and I was just, <laughs> I was just really writing something that I thought I might like, right. during those first stages, and then... So
2: it's for children. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then, but then I think uh, you're totally right to talk about the fact we've got kids, and as you said at the start, it's like this production has been like... It, that first conversation we had my son was very young he wasn't exactly the same age I wasn't missing labour to have <laughs> the conversation but it was It as a piece grows over that period of time you definitely change as a person and gradually making something that is about um, one's relationship to one's parents and a parent's relationship to one's child couldn't I mean that couldn't help our life experience couldn't help but inform what happened on stage and, f- and for me that meant that things just got deeper and deeper and hopefully it filled with more and more um, generosity of spirit and confidence and heart.
0: Yeah, I mean, another divide, I suppose, in in an audience for particularly for an adaptation, which I think about because I've done quite a few adaptations. And one of the things I always think is there's there's the audience that knows the book and there's the audience that don't know the book. Mm. And actually, they're quite fundamentally different experiences of what they're about to see. Yeah. And w- how conscious were you? Because this is not a an obscure book. There will be a lot of people who know it. Yeah. How, you, what, what did, how did that come into the way you planned and thought about the show?
2: We were definitely quite frightened about it. Yeah, pure terror. Yeah, because, um, uh, you know, Neil Gaiman has absolutely loyal fans and... Right. Uh, we really didn't want to let them down but we also wanted to have license to change it and that but I think what was great is that Neil was so supportive so no one is a bigger fan of Neil than Neil so (laughs) (laughs) well you know so he he gave us that kind of uh, permission and loved what we were doing so it felt like as long as we kept doing that that Mm -hmm. we would be okay and I I think so far like from uh, the response that it's had it seems to be pleasing both those audiences. Yeah,
1: I guess it's it's also, it's a new thing. So yeah. there's the book and the book still exists and is unharmed and is a brilliant read and everybody should read it whether they're reading it before the show or after it. Um, and the play is different. And uh, some of those differences are more pronounced, no spoilers. And um, some of them are just how you move something into a new form. Um, yeah, I still feel sorry for this people who've got lines tattooed on their bodies and i've cut those some of those lines and i'm just <laughs> like oh god that makes me feel terrible but all oh, um, right but i'm oh, sorry about that
0: because yeah because you haven't been denounced on some neil gimaniacs forum I
1: somewhere
0: I know. <laughs> not that i know either, i don't but, um, think but I don't so okay. offend anyone so uh, obviously there are a few changes i mean we don't want to say too much but some of them are yeah uncontroversial because you find out very quickly i mean a simple one you've moved it forward in time a decade or so mm-hmm. uh there are a couple of other changes what were th- what was the kind of principle for some of the changes you made to the original story
2: um there we moved it forward a decade because that was our sort of childhood uh and right. therefore we felt like it it should it, we could relate to that and it would yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, it's that thing I think of of making sure that it absolutely, you know. Neil has this thing that he wrote this book as a love letter to his wife, and so it's incredibly personal for him. And then I think that part of the rite of passage of making this thing has definitely been to make it incredibly personal for us. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a, a spade of that in m- moving it to the '80s.
2: And then I think the pro- the process was that we tried a lot of the thing mm-hmm. things that we changed. You know, it, we had that workshop development time. We certain characters were in it and then they were out of it or you know so we we tried it and then we thought of something else and it, we it got uh, it's really hard to do this without spoiling it um but it, it it helped and it improved it and so we kind of yeah. um i think we were open at the beginning that we wouldn't change anything if we didn't have to but and then we obviously as we decided what as you said it's such a big book and could be about lots of different things that as Jobs' vision became clear about what he wanted to say and that we made changes ac- according to that.
1: And, and there are other thematic mm. richness. There is a, other thematic richness in moving it to the 80s in terms of Thatcherism and this country at that point. Um, but those things are, yeah, going to leave them soften, there. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it seems that to me that one of the reasons why the book can be interpreted in so many ways is in part it... I certainly felt when I was reading it, it's a, a bit like he's creating a new myth, like a sort of a new myth that feels like it could have been from 2000 years ago. And it, I mean it has that kind of quality to it as a, as a story. Uh, is that something you were very aware of? Is that something that's that is slightly daunting as part of a, a process? How do you transfer the kind of written myth into something that feels mythic in the theater? Because actually I do think it feels like it has that grand mythic character?
1: Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, I guess earlier I said that thing about the one's personal creation myth. And that, Mm. um, yeah, I feel like Neil is very consciously doing that. And lots of his references, literary references and and folkloric references, he's such an incredible mind that he's absolutely doing that on purpose. And he's written a character who is very literary and literature, completely absolutely literally saves his life so it's it's like um i I think i was completely aware that he was writing a myth and Mm -hmm. completely aware that he kind of done most of that for us so it's really like just try and deliver the heart of that on stage and we're okay but then that's where katie and steven like and sam and everybody involved starts to make something tonally and uh stylistically mythic
0: Hmm. And it's interesting you said earlier that you're a hardcore atheist because there's plenty of sort of christian resonance in the story. I'm not saying it's a sort of Lion, the witch in the wardrobe situation, but it, it but there are, you know, there are sort of kind of rebirths and yeah, sacrifice and and kind of good and evil battles and things like that. Uh and I kind of I think that's interesting that there is this there's a sort of a spiritual thing. What did you kind of feel you were doing with that? Did you see that? Did you do something with it? Do you want to pursue that? Or is that just actually part of the general mythic storytelling?
2: I think there's all kinds of different myths in there, not just Christian. I mean, Nordic and uh, Icelandic. And uh, when you start looking at who the hempstocks are and the tri goddess and the, you know, actually it's pagan. It's much more pagan than Christian story. Um, But uh, it's definitely in there. Mm. And I think, again, your own experience, you are drawn to see whichever you're most sort of familiar with. um And so, uh, as Joel said, I think it's, it was just about keeping it kind of open to that and keeping the essence of that being in there without being too laboured that this is what we're doing right now, they're going to mm. deliver big symbols on stage or whatever, but actually just telling the story in a really honest way um, that. That all of those things are there, and and uh, our costume designers put beautiful little details hidden in their costumes, of runes and l- um. really ancient things which you'll never see, but are absolutely in the ev- the fabric of of it. Right, mm.
0: and you mentioned, of course, the, the 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 other thing it it seems to draw on and connects to very consciously, is the a uh, long tradition of children's literature, and there are sort of wonderful wonderful echoes of all sorts of stories. You know, there's a kind of Alice in Wonderland feel to some of it. Uh, Ursula is like a sort of anti-Mary Poppins, I think. Uh, Those sorts of things. Uh, Is that just a sort of, is that a nod to it? Or is it, does it feel like there's a sort of, there's there's actually a a dark tradition of kind of imaginative, and these are quite dark, a lot of these stories. children's thinking that is actually I felt I I was thinking as I was watching it is almost contrary to a kind of adult literary tradition it's a big question but I wonder how you think that functions in in your show that those nods to children's literature
2: Um, well they're, they're absolutely connected to the boy and his love of literature and reading they're his support they are he There's a line in the novel, isn't there, that I lived more in books because they was, it was safer. Yeah. And so for me, it's absolutely in the psychology of his character that they're there and that we... And as a theatrical Listen. thing as well, we were able to draw on that, as you say, Alice in Wonderland and Narnia. They're the things that keep him safe. And so it was wonderful to be able to use those references as a kind of toolkit to mm. play with. Um, and uh, yeah, they are dark, they, those stories. And I, and when we were setting the age range for this, uh, as we were making it, you know, people were saying, is it too scary? And I just thought, n- all children's literature <laughs> is scary. It always has been. And mm. children are much braver than we think they are. And uh, I think it felt important to uh, keep that real sense of mm. darkness and fear and, um, making the audience jump every night really hmm. fills me with joy. Yes. <laughs> there's a
0: wonderful moment, isn't there, where somebody, I can't remember the exact line, but there's a, a sort of comment about the difference between sort of childlike adventurousness and a kind of more an adult caution. I can't remember exactly what that is, but that felt that's also about a certain wilder attitude to storytelling. Is that something you kind of thought about that actually there's a there's different tradition you can tap into of, of, of Children's storytelling that's somehow different from a kind of adult, kind of serious drama kind of uh, way of writing?
1: Um I don't know, because I don't know I don't know if I draw such a such a clear distinction. Right, yeah. But um, the great thing about the like the gift of this book for an adapter is that it's partly a memory play, so it starts off in uh, a certain time not the 80s and then it, uh, most of the action happens in flashback so then because it's told through a protagonist's state of mind all everything that kid's ever read is part of what's going on on stage all the time and right. and then that is part of who that man has become um, and whether that's misremembered or or just been stirred in the pot of his own experience then it, i feel like it embellishes characters with whatever one might add to your um own personal Mary Puppets. Right. <laughs> or <you know laughs> what Absolutely. I mean.
0: Can I ask you to join me in thanking Joel and
1: Katie?